Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So just um, getting from prior to the news to now, I wanted to jump off the back of what Charles had to say about what the repercussions are. He is saying there'll be a compensation suit without a doubt so that those people involved could actually gather a larger suit made up of everyone in the state of Queensland who lost their job as a result of not taking the jab and demanding compensation from the government. Now, as he mentioned, there'll be an appeal because it's one judge. It's not three. And if it were three, they would uh, have a problem in trying to appeal that. There'd be a lot more consideration. But because there's one, it uh, has more likelihood of being appealed successfully. And, of course, it's your money. They don't give a stuff about what time or money or cost it is to do such a uh, take on a process of appeal. Why would they care? It's your money. They just throw it like confetti. Bring in another, you know, barrack of barristers. What's the collective noun for barristers? I'll work that out. Bring them all in, pay them a lot of money. It's only taxpayers' money and we will defeat the Supreme Court judge. Well, if they lose that, then the compensation begins. And then, of course, it can be used, even if it's in another state, by other jurisdictions. It's not a precedent that uh, has to be followed in other jurisdictions, but it can be used um, as other jurisdictions' laws and uh, outcomes are used uh, across Australia. So both of those are really interesting. You know, I'm about to take Glenn's call, who's phoned through on our talkback lines, and he wants to talk about anti-Semitism. Um, and it's interesting. I noticed that Jerry Seinfeld, um, who's Jewish, of course, has been heckled and harassed by anti-Israel protesters. What's Jerry's role in the plight of the Palestinians? Maybe someone can enlighten me on that. What has Jerry done in Gaza? What has Jerry done to ensure that Palestine didn't have some kind of sovereignty? What, what, what has he done apart from tell jokes in a, an acclaimed career. I don't get it, but he's been harassed because he's Jewish. That's the kind of anti-Semitism that goes on. Let's go to Glenn, our listener, on the line right now. Go ahead, Glenn. There you go, mate. Uh, I'll just quickly touch on COVID first. Could you try and find out for us, is it possible to personally sue the bureaucrats and the politicians? Because the compensation, as you said, they're going to appeal and use our taxpayers' money, and then the compensation's our taxpayers' money. It never hurts them. So could you try and find out if, if it's possible to actually personally sue the chief medical officers, the premiers, and the bureaucrats? Well, you can do it, you but you can do it, but let me tell you that they would be covered under the public service agreement, and even though that their advice might be uh, given to politicians who make the decision, I have a feeling that the government has to take the can and it cannot be sheeted on to an individual. That That is only my, my understanding, that they're covered by the government's uh, own legal framework 
and that's why they make the decisions that they do. So that that that's probably the right answer, but I don't know for sure. Okay, no, that's fair enough. I was just bringing up, I suppose, well, you know about what happened in Melbourne this week, where the Jewish man was assaulted and the police arrested him. Yeah. 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 Okay. Last night on Peter Credlin, it came out even more vision. They had a bloke there with the PA system calling for jihad and martyrdom on the streets of Australia, and the police just stand there and do nothing. Well, well, I would have thought that's offensive at the very least. Sorry? That's offensive at the very least. What? Why wouldn't he be arrested and charges laid? Because, of, well, I believe that we're sending completely the wrong message, Chris, and I'm looking at, at England. They've just had headlines in England, Parliament... Uh, intimidated by Islamists, you know, like this, it's all getting out of control, Chris, and, and I'm just, I'm seriously concerned about where we're going and our, our, this is the worst government in my living memory I'm 57 years of age and I've never known a government that hates Australia and wants to completely destroy our lives and bring violence to our streets because this is going to end up in bloodshed, Chris. Well, what we're doing, we're allowing the kinds of scenes that exist in places like uh, Gaza and the West Bank, we're allowing those scenes to be part of our normal everyday life in Australia, and it shouldn't be part of our everyday normal life. We don't want to import this garbage and this foul, aggressive crap. We should be cracking down, and if police can't do the job, the army should be brought in to do the job. Well, the problem is the police, it seems that the police have their hands tied by the government and the government has no appetite to do anything about it. And I, I truly believe they're hoping that there's bloodshed because, mate, if push comes to shove on the streets, I'm going to take up arms to protect my fellow Australians of Jewish heritage. I'll do it in a heartbeat. And I, I, I won't, I'm not ashamed to say it. I will take up arms to defend the Australian way of life and to fight against Islamic terrorism. And yeah. we're importing it. 2,273 yeah. with visas within 24 hours. Now, yeah. once again, Patty Wong lied to the Australian public. She said it was 860. She said all the checks and balances were taking place. Uh, I know Holly Hughes told me last time that there's nothing we can do but wait for an election, but I called bullshit on that mm. they it's should unreal. be they should be screaming the joint down about this yes yes and and as that email sent in about giving the links to his friends to see the tucker carlson thing he's right australians our biggest problem and our biggest enemy is ourselves we're so apathetic yeah. uh the footy's on i've got beer in the fridge shut up and leave me alone well, yeah. I'm asking for all the Australians that happen to be listening right now, grow a set and get ready for a fight because it's coming. I'm ready for it. And actually, I'm starting to look forward to it, Chris, because I've had a gutful. Yeah, I, really I think had everyone's had a gutful. The, the kind of stuff that you see on the streets and urging people to push um, 
you know, Jewish people into the ocean and all that sort of stuff. I don't care what you think about either side or whether you hate everyone in Israel and you think you have every reason to hate them. That is the kind of stuff on Australian streets that we don't want to import and we shouldn't allow it to fester because if you allow it to fester, what's the next step? Well, unfortunately, mate, you're preaching to the choir, but 99%, 98% of Australians are allowing it to fester and most yeah. of them... Are too, are too scared to say what they actually believe in case they get called a name. Yeah, you're right. That, you're exactly right. And we shouldn't put up with it. We shouldn't put up with it. Glenn, well, thank you very much for me. raising it. Don't stop raising it with us. I won't, mate. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good on you. And I don't care how, you know, uh, kind a government wants to be. I don't care whether the left wing of the party says, uh, let's just open our borders and bring everyone in. They need to do what we expect them to do under Australian culture, which is behave. Don't push in a public sphere for someone to be beheaded or killed or a war to occur. None of that crap. That's not free speech. That's not free speech. It's grossly offensive. It usurps every agreement that these people had to come into the country in the first place, and we won't put up with it. We won't stand for it. And if police are standing next to this crap, as Glenn's put it, stating, who's making the decision not to stop and arrest these people? Because that's wrong. That's wrong. While we're on this subject, this is interesting. This is an exclusive story in The Australian, only posted a short time ago. A Sydney barrister who has acted for the pro-Palestine groups responsible for storming the Opera House on October 9, has sued a Jewish charity and construction lawyer and reported her to the legal watchdog after she accused him of supporting terrorism. Former police officer Mahmoud Hawila and Melbourne lawyer Harriet Warlow Schill have been embroiled in a bitter LinkedIn dispute over their differing views on the evolving conflict in the Middle East. They obviously can't disagree kindly. While Mr. Hawila condemns the genocide of Palestinians at the hands of Israel, Ms. Warlow Schill has called out his allegations as nonsense. Among his frequent LinkedIn posts, Mr. Hawila has referred to Gaza as the world's largest and most inhumane open-air prison, and accused mainstream media organisations of refusing to hear about 75 years of occupation and ethnic cleansing. He has supported the work of former ABC radio presenter Antoinette Latouf, who was currently in a fair work dispute with the public broadcaster after she was taken off air last year. He has also praised Greens MP Maureen Farouki's sheer courage for referring to Israel as a genocidal state in Parliament. Mr. Hawila has previously represented the Palestine Action Group, which was responsible for the protest outside the Opera House in early October. Late last year, Mr. Hawila praised the bravery of former United Nations official Craig Makiba, who, after his resignation, accused the body of failing to address a textbook case of genocide. Well done, mate, Mr. Hawila, who also lectures legal ethics at the University of Sydney, wrote on LinkedIn. In reply to the post, and this is where the problem began, Miss Warlow Schill accused Mr. Hawila of hiding behind his no-comment wall, citing a nonsense allegation of genocide and failing to address Hamas launching rockets from kids' play areas and hospitals. Miss Warlow Schill also claimed Mr. Hawila's post was lies, distortion 
and supporting terrorism. And that's where they end up in court. That's got well and truly out of control. Now, we often talk on this program in detail about the border crisis that's occurring in the United States at the moment, usually and primarily over the southern border, of course. And we've been discussing how in December it hit an all-time high with 350,000 illegal entrants. Now, I've said before, and this has been reported widely, widely, it's not me guessing, but it's been reported widely in various publications that there are illegal migrants turning up in New York and joining crime gangs. We'll have a listen to this. A man wearing a hoodie, according to Sky, uh, sorry, this is according to Fox News, a man wearing a hoodie emblazoned with the words, F you all, was among more than 1,500 immigrants dropped off on the streets of San Diego over the weekend after funding dried up for a city-funded immigration centre. So you understand what this is? He's arrived. They've put him up in San Diego. They've run out of money to keep the accommodation going, and he's running around with a T-shirt telling Americans who are paying through their taxes to support him, F you all. The eyebrow-raising attire was captured in a photo shared on X by city supervisor Jim Desmond. Welcome to America, just one of the hundreds of illegal immigrants dropped on the streets of San Diego, Desmond wrote. Welcome to America. The image showed how San Diego's streets and airport have been flooded in recent days following the closure of a $6 million taxpayer-funded migrant processing centre that had been operated by a not-for-profit. So they are bending over backwards to help these people settle into this country, and that's the thanks they get, if you all. The San Diego Migrant Welcome Centre ran out of money in the past in just four and a half months. The centre burned through $1.5 million per month, providing migrants with a place to take refuge and charge their phones until they were processed and sent to their final destinations. That's called generosity. That's called the American spirit looking after people who have arrived here, whether it's illegally or justifiably, until they're processed. Since October, the centre has processed around 81,000 migrants. 81,000. In recent days, the transit centre, which is just north of the Mexico border, has been flooded with migrants. So, you know, the onslaught continues but they've got this closed and then someone's running around with a T-shirt, if you all. Not generous enough, not kind enough, the $1.5 million they burn through, not, not enough for you? You expect more from America's taxpayers? This is what Biden creates. It creates an entitled mentality that will last forever for those people who get everything on a silver plate because they illegally entered the United States. It's just gross. I want to take a break. We've got uh, Dr. Alan Moran coming up shortly. I said we'd have Senator Holly Hughes. We were about to speak with her at the beginning of the hour, but the bells have rung in Parliament House in Canberra, which means she needs to go in and uh, lodge a vote on a particular bill. So hopefully that will uh, be over and done with before we uh, retire for the evening and we'll catch up with Holly Hughes in the last half hour of our show, but we'll catch up with Alan Moran in just a short moment right here 
on TNT. TNT's Dean Mackin. Some would argue where it comes to Julian Assange, he has more than done his time, whether that be self-imposed or where he currently finds himself locked up, but just that time that he spent in the Ecuadorian embassy. That was way more time than he ever should have served. And what did he do? He told the truth. Somehow you would think if you were new to this world, if you were a visiting alien, if you were a child who was growing up in this world, you would learn quickly that if you tell the truth, if you advocate for what's right, you'll be punished. Apparently, that's the lesson to be learned. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. Two, think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. Three, it's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I've been talking about the collapse of the COVID wall, the fact that the mainstream New Zealand study that came out last week indicated that the observed impacts of vaccines was much higher than what was expected. From 99 million cases, major. Then we've had the Queensland Supreme Court victory today for those who have taken the government to court over the fact that they can't work because they didn't take a jab. And they have won. The COVID wall slowly, brick by brick, is coming down. Well, on top of that, would you believe Dr. Norman Swan is starting to recognise the impact of vaccine injuries? ABC health expert Norman Swan, according to the Daily Mail, has admitted the COVID vaccines produced unexpected side effects 
but considers them to be akin to winning the lotto three times in your lifetime. Huh? Dr. Swan was commenting on the largest ever study done into adverse reactions from COVID vaccines, which was published last week. That was the one I've just mentioned. They uncovered side effects that hadn't quite expected, and they did show up as a signal there. Now, he goes on to try and explain that away. Well, there are instances where cardio problems were three times worse than what they were expected. Let me just say that again. There were cardio problems in many, many cases that were three times worse in numbers than what was expected. Are you telling me we should just shove this aside and ignore it like it's some kind of blip? It's not. And even Norman Swan has had to admit partially the truth. All right. The Australian Federal Coalition has flagged its intention to take a policy on nuclear energy to the next federal election. But today, billionaire Andrew Twiggy Forrest said the fossil fuel industry is using the prospect of nuclear energy to slow the transition to renewable energy. That's quite a wild claim. In addition, Forrest says the Inflation Reduction Act is effective at encouraging a renewable energy boom in the US and Australia should consider similar tax credit policies. That is just a carbon tax in a different set of clothes. To discuss this further, we're joined now by Dr. Alan Moran, Principal of Regulation Economics. Alan was the Director of the Deregulation Unit at the Institute of Public Affairs from 1996 until 2014. He was previously a senior official in Australia's Productivity Commission and Director of the Commonwealth's Office of Regulation Review. He got his degrees in the UK. He joins us now. Dr. Alan Moran, welcome back to TNT. Hi, Chris. Good to be here. All right. Andrew Twiggy Forrest attacks coalition for backing nuclear is the headline. I think if we start following the money trail, we kind of understand why he would be so vocal on this. While the rest of the world is doing what they should do and investigate the likelihood of small modular reactors being the future, the likes of Andrew Twiggy Forrest doesn't even want to doesn't even want to be versed in any of that. They don't. He doesn't even want the government to refer to it, and the government won't even refer refer it either. We should be having a task force in the into this, shouldn't we? We ought to be looking at all these things, but we do know that the the the, the power source that uh, Twiggy Forrest favours, which is wind and solar, won't work. Nor will green hydrogen. Uh, it, it works for him because he's getting a lot of subsidies from from the government, not only this government, but other governments as well, to actually investigate it and put in plants. Uh, so, but but in terms of the, the future, the future has to be reliable power, which can be controlled. And that means coal, gas, uh, hydrogen, uh, not hydrogen, hydroelectricity, mm. uh, and uranium or nuclear, as you said. Mm. It's those, those sources have to be the way of the future because the other way, you're basically reliant on intermittent power, which comes on and off. You need bat batteries, a lot of batteries, to actually uh, firm it up so it's available when when required. In fact, I've just been doing some research into what those batteries would cost. The government has, has put out something saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to be uh, spending $10 billion on batteries. Well, you know, $10 billion is no, is, is no small beer, but, it, but uh, we're spending $10 billion a year 
and subsidies for renewables and and in uh, and building new transmission to allow them to be uh, to be transported across the continent we're spending 10 billion dollars a year already but that 10 billion that the government's talking about is totally inadequate mm. we need far far more we need a hundred times that 10 billion because we the the, the 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 renewables go on and off and we need about uh, 20 days probably a supply of, of energy which is really what we've got with coal because in essentially uh, coal mines or coal mines and generators are one huge battery uh, normally they have about 30 days supply of coal available so, and, and to tide us through any crisis etc and, and historically we've been very successful at doing that but of course this has been weakened in in recent years because we've been banning coal essentially and, and, and taxing it out of out of business. That's fascinating. You're the economist, Alan Moran, and you're saying to me 10 billion per year is not going to allow us to store this kind of energy. You're saying we need 100 times that. Yeah, we need we need something like that. Uh, basically, and that's in batteries. We've got to we've got to buy those batteries. Those batteries actually only last about 10 years. You've got to buy them again in 10 years time. And in a way, some of the governments, some of the pro more proactive people who are working uh, in the same direction as Twiggy Forest recognize that because we just saw a report by Roscano and, and Sims, two uh, economists who've been working with the government for many years. These two economists have come forward and said, well, we need a new, a new carbon tax, $100 billion a year, they said. We need $100 billion a year to get us on the road to net zero. I mean, this is just destroying the country to actually save the country, and it wouldn't even do that. It's an economic suicide note. That's what it is. Um, just, just go back on Andrew Forrest. Here he is talking up hydrogen, green hydrogen. This is what people are going to use to get from one point to the other. Well, I remember having it was it was the middle of last year, and I remember talking to an expert at Cambridge University whose background was a lifetime investigating and experimenting and doing the research on whether hydrogen can be the answer to vehicular transport. And he says, he says, the one that would make money out of saying it's a goer, he says, won't happen. No, it won't happen. Indeed, it's been floated for a long time. It, it, the Queensland Premier, Joe Bielke-Peterson, was floating this idea of of fuel from hydrogen 30 or 30 years ago and it, it wasn't going anywhere then it won't now i mean if you look at the costs of producing green hydrogen which is essentially separating the hydrogen from the oxygen in h2o water uh, the cost of doing so is, is more far more than the value of the green hydrogen itself yeah. and then you've actually got to transport it it's very very light gas it's gonna it, it corrodes pipes it creeps through any cracks in the pipes it you know Maybe someday will somebody will find a breakthrough, but really, it's, it seems inconceivable at the present time. And even if it was conceivable, let's let people like Twiggy Forest if they, if they think it's conceivable, put their money into it and have yes. a look. Yes, don't I take don't my, my money. money. Thank you very much. Yes, I've got to take a break for news, Alan. Stay right there. We've got plenty more to talk to you about, and we'll do that right after a news break here at TNT. Now, TNT Radio News. You are completely obsessed with breaking news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. France has announced a new coalition which will supply Ukraine with longer-range missiles and has refused to rule out sending ground troops into the country. 
Beijing has warned Washington's latest round of sanctions against Russia and its partners, including China, threaten the world order. And Sweden will become NATO's 32nd member after Hungary's parliament ratified the Nordic nation's application to join the military bloc on Monday. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. I was trying to come up with the collective term for barristers, and I'll find out. It, there, there is a, a, a name, a, a word to describe it, but a few have had a chance to um, volunteer some names, collective nouns, and on the chat box, they've told me that, well, Alex has said, what about an abomination of barristers? Mm-hmm. I like that. I like it. Uh, Lou has suggested, well, oh no, Lozzie has suggested a bastardry of barristers. Now, that will probably be inaccurate, but how appropriate. A bastardry of barristers. I like it. Let's get back to Dr. Alan Moran. Um, I spoke a couple of weeks back about the gloomy forecast coming from the Toyota chairman, Alan, about the maximum market share that he predicts for electric vehicles. And he says it'll be just 30% which blows at the maximum market share that he predicts for electric vehicles. And he says it'll be just 30%, which blows away all these political forecasts from those who are right into the green evangelism. And it's because the demand isn't there. Big countries like the United States and Australia, they're not interested uh, because of the distance involved and the lack of infrastructure or the infrastructure that will be required. And Of course, each and every manufacturer who volunteers and says, oh, we'll go green, we'll make EVs, keep giving us subsidies, though, because it is so terribly inefficient. And you wrote about this exact topic this month in the Canberra Daily, didn't you? I did, yes. I mean, I think, you know, there's a future for EVs, and Toyota may be right, maybe it's 30%, whatever else. it's difficult to see it becoming the 100%, which was which everybody was was uh, cottoned onto not long ago, and is now receding from. The EU was talking about they're going to mandate 100% by Boris Johnson, same Boris Johnson as well. Both of the both have retreated from that position now, and it's not difficult to see why, because essentially uh, that EVs have been buoyed by these massive subsidies. Once the subsidies are removed, as they were, say, in Germany not long ago, they, well, last year, uh, the, the, the demand dropped quite precipitously, and it will that will happen whenever the subsidies fall. Uh, we, we, we seem to be going in the opposite direction here. We've not got subsidies, but uh, the uh, Minister Bowen has introduced a new requirement that, that will event, event, eventually re- require uh, motor vehicle industries to produce more uh, EVs or pay a tax penalty. Uh, this is just this and, is just against all market free market rules. And Bowen says, you know, we will all gain a thousand dollars a year as a result of that. Well, you know, blow me dead. If that's correct, then why? What? Then why don't? Why do we need this requirement? Because we'll do, we'll do it anyway. 
But the, the fact of the matter is that once some of the, uh, the motor associations started examining the small print, they realized that, you know, that was actually going to be a new tax of about $10,000 on some of the four wheel drives that are, that are very popular at the present time. So we, we see, we see these uh, renewables. I mean, we've seen re real disasters, say in the United States, Ford is losing $67,000 per vehicle. That it so hang on, hang on. Just repeat that statistic because that is a mind blower. They're losing $64,000 per vehicle that they produce per EV. That's, that's how much they're losing. So, you know. Why, why are they even doing it if they're losing well, that much? At the moment, they've got faith, but they are, they are paring down the plants, uh, the EV plants, uh, uh, because they've obviously been far too ambitious, if not grossly and, and, uh, and, and terminally ambitious uh, in, the, in the investment in there. But we've seen other things as well. As I said, Germany's fallen down. Uh, the, the Volvo uh, has, has, uh, has declared its, uh, its electric vehicle bankrupt, which is a, a subsidiary of Volvo, uh, a UK major uh, subsidiary called Arrival, uh, went bankrupt uh, last, last month, uh, and it had been worth some $20 billion. But, you know, we see we the rest of the world is waking up to that this is a problem uh, and that we ought to be going a bit more slowly. Some of the more gung-ho manufacturers in the past have been like Mercedes and Porsche and, and suddenly they're saying, oh, wait a minute, we, we can't do this. It actually, we, we'll only do it if, if, it's, uh, if the market is there. Well, you know, anybody will do it if the market is there, but mm. they're basically saying to governments, you've got to hold back and, and not do so much of it. But uh, unfortunately, we're latecomers in, in that in, in Australia, and we're gung-ho doing something which the rest of the world is, is pulling back from. See, the positive part of electric vehicles is that if you can build the infrastructure, which of course costs a lot of money, but if you can build the infrastructure, you can have a large number of EVs in a city area, can't you, successfully mm -hmm. driving? Yeah. So it wouldn't be a problem, and it'd be rather advantage. It'd be an advantage to be able to pump up uh, your car overnight using a charger at home. Yeah, That's but if you're in an apartment building that doesn't have the infrastructure, it's a waste of time. Well, actually, it's a waste of time, and some of the uh, other other apartment dwellers don't like it because there is a risk of it one fire as a result of EVs and that yeah. they're put out. Uh, you know, the thing is, all of these. When the motor car came along, nobody said, oh, we're going to build this infrastructure, we're going to do this, petrol stations and whatever there. No, it, it, it made sense because it paid and people built it. There wasn't, there was no government plan to do all this. No. Uh, here, especially in Australia, because politicians don't really like things happening unless they're pushing them forward, they've got to have plans. They've got to force us all to do this because mm. it's in our, in our best interest and they know our, our best interest better than us. You know, and, and any number of catastrophes as a result of this sort of planning, uh, they don't learn. They say, oh, well, the other guys did it wrong. We're going to do it right this time. They, they don't learn that they do not understand how markets operate the way the markets do operate. Yeah, you're right. And mainly because the likes of Chris Bowen, the climate change minister and the prime minister, they've never had a real job. They've certainly never had a career outside of politics where they learn what market forces do and why it's important to leave the market to decide. It's quite true. And there's so few politicians nowadays, especially in Australia, who, who have got that, that crucial experience and working experience to be able to, to, to sort of stand back and say, 
our role as politicians is to create the laws which allows the market to, to operate, not yeah. to actually drive the markets because we don't know how we don't know much about it. We can see that, that what they've done in the energy markets and uh, destroyed them. We talked about it earlier, but destroyed them, in, increased the cost of energy as a result of their uh, fastening on to renewables, which. Mm. A seductive. Everyone likes clean, green, and whatever else. But you know, when you actually look at it in detail, it, it, they don't work. They mm. work only with uh, a vast additional cost to firm them up. Okay, let's talk globally for a second. In Europe and the UK, and you've touched on this already in this segment. There seems to be a new reluctance to go full steam ahead with you know the green evangelism, electric vehicles, net zero in particular, and carbon abatement. You wrote about this in The Spectator recently. It's a more cautious approach, which Australia obviously hasn't cottoned on to. No, we seem to be still heading uh, hell-bent hell to leather in the opposite direction. But, you know, there's been salutary lessons in Europe uh, where suddenly farmers are saying, well, you know, this green revolution is, sounds pretty good, but you've got to, we've got to slaughter all our livestock and we've got to pay these methane taxes and we're going to pay all this and that and farmers are you know started revolting and and you know closing down parliament house closing down motorways and that has actually made the the politicians sit up a little bit in europe and say well perhaps we've been going too fast and too far in this and they've done you know they they, they have pulled back they've not stopped they haven't gone into reverse yet but they have pulled back uh and we've also seen them uh, them facing some of the difficulties uh, as a result of over-reliance on renewables. And in France, for example, they moved back towards uh, favouring nuclear, which uh, a lot of people would favour here. Uh, and uh, in Germany, they, they've been subsidising uh, gas plants to actually uh, uh, firm up the, the renewables that they've got. So we, we're seeing these sorts of moves across Europe, um, which are, whilst they're not rolling back the tide of renewables, they are basically holding it and saying, well, perhaps we ought to slow it down a little bit. But, you know, of course, that isn't enough. They will have to, in, in the end, roll it back because they're facing crises of, of, uh, uh, of, of uncompetitiveness against uh, nations like India and China and Indonesia who, who don't give a damn about it. And they're basically putting in the cheapest electricity they can, which is either coal, sometimes gas, and, and often nuclear. Yeah, so true. Great to have you on the program as usual. Um, and I just wonder what's going through Andrew Forrest's head, or maybe he's just too subsidised by government to see the forest for the trees, so to speak. Dr. Alan Moran, thank you for your time. Thanks, Chris. Good on you. The Director of the Deregulation Unit at the Institute of Public Affairs from 1996 and 2014, Principal of Regulation Economics. Always good to have him on the program to put some sense, common sense, economic sense into this incredible economic suicide note that the Western world is writing for themselves at the moment. Now, after the break, I'm going to catch up with recruitment expert Graham Wynn, who we have on the program quite often. I want to talk about the gender pay gap, a big story in Australia, because a major study has been released and there's a major gender pay gap still existing in the workforce. We'll talk about whether this is something to be concerned about or is some of it just um you know highlighting the different physiology between man and woman we'll um we'll talk to graham win about that coming up right after the break right here at tnt 
with his expert analysis and opinion. This is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. There's an old Southern proverb here in the United States that the ones doing the accusing are usually the ones doing the doing. The bard put it a little more eloquently, methinks thou doth protest too much. But pretty much any time you see people smearing Donald Trump, for example, you can pretty much bet your bottom dollar that they're the ones that are guilty from everything of which they accuse him. Starting war, being a dictator on day one, all of the lies heaped upon Donald Trump, all the fear-mongering, all the panic they're trying to engender, we have to save democracy. How exactly? By destroying democracy, by being totalitarian, by breaching civil rights? No. I'm sticking with Granny on the front porch. Those doing the accusing are usually those doing the doing. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea. For today's News Talk, TNT. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. Pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard. One click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Report a cyber tip today. The voice of a changing world. Chris Smith. On today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, the story today about the gender pay gap in Australia was quite an eye-opener. Some of the country's elite private schools pay women as much as 70% more than male staff, bucking the national trend in data released today, which for the first time reveals the gender pay gaps of nearly 5,000 Australian businesses. Um, I thought I'd just catch up with Graham Wynn today, who we like to speak to in reference to recruitment matters. He is the founder and director of Superior People Recruitment. Graham, thank you very much for your time. Good afternoon, Chris. Okay, so just go through a little bit of the nuts and bolts uh, of what we've discovered from this study today and what's it revealed about the gender pay gap for those people who are listening or watching that haven't been up to speed with it. Sure. Just on the whole thing, this has actually been reported for about the last 10 years by companies. So it's not a new piece of information they're having to give. They've been doing this for the past 10 years. So companies that employ more than 100 people have been providing this information for about 10 years. It's been kept anonymous and it was only reported as industry-related. Now the government has said it's now going to be reported by a company. And so what it's now saying is, okay, Pontus AGL, here is your agenda pay gap. And what it basically means is, what is the difference between what the men are getting and what the females are getting? The problem is it's not differentiating between what kind of jobs those people have in those organisations. It is simply saying on average men are paid 30% more or 20% or 50% more than females, but not saying what positions or jobs those people have. And I think that's where your problem is. I don't see how you can have a, a proper gender pay report unless you clearly say management middle management, juniors, or whatever, to explain what the pay gap is caused by. And that's the problem with this. And that's why companies don't like it. It's not a clear reflection. And most people seem to think this is not really about equal pay because under legislation, you can't pay people different 
amount for the same job. That's how it already works. Mm. They think it's more around that quotas. A lot of management are males. Therefore, they're saying the only way to improve the gender pay gap is by having more females in senior roles. So companies are thinking this is more of a push for quotas rather than about levelling up the gender pay gap. That's a really good explanation. So it's it's comparing oranges with apples here. What we really need is a similar study that compares the same jobs and what's being paid to men as opposed to women. Absolutely correct. This report means nothing at all unless you know what jobs people have. And as you, as you would know yourself from in our, our vintage, in years gone by, the majority of management were men because females became housewives, brought up children. Yeah. So a lot of senior roles of our generation are still held by men, and that's just how it's happened over the years. That will change, no doubt, with time. So and it clearly, is changing. It is changing. So clearly most senior positions are held by men because that's just how it's been. So consequently, you're going to have a gender pay gap discrepancy if 80% of the senior roles are held by men. So it's a really, it's, it's in some way, it's, it's a meaningless report because it doesn't really give a true picture. And then, the, then, there's the, then, then there's the physiology factor. That is, women have children, men don't. And so if women want to have children, they go away for, you know, 12 months or whatever the maternity leave is. Sometimes it's a lot longer. It might be two years. Yep. They come back. They haven't been part of growing the business. They can't walk straight back into a senior role. So that normally there's this natural, um, I guess, float to the bottom for people that have been out of the workplace, getting back into the workplace after having children. And that is pure physiology, right? Correct. And, and if you think to yourself, most in the, in the past, men have been more career-driven, ambitious, wanting promotions, commissions. Females, because of their, their home lifestyle, have wanted more casualised, what can work around the children, the pick-up mm. kids. So therefore, they've been in those lesser-paying jobs that fit with their lifestyle while the husband was out there generating the income, career paths, promotion. That's just how it's been. Consequently, we do have a gender pay gap, but it's not really anything negative. It's just how it is. Yeah. When I was at Sky News, we had a series of programs of a night, um, a series of uh, shows. And i got to tell you, the majority of the executive producers, the vast majority of the executive producers on those programs were women. Yep. A and so this is changing. You know, if I'd have been in there 10 years earlier, they probably would have been dominated by men. But it is changing in many, yes. many sectors, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, Yes. And I think teaching is one of those sectors you mentioned earlier that's changing yeah. a great deal. Um, cleaners, um, retail. Retail is heavily female orientated in, in the actual showrooms, if you like. But yeah. Generally, has been males. And again, that's a gender pay gap, but it's not because we are just paying women less. It's because of where people sit in that chain of promotion hierarchy. And as we know, over the years, men have generally been in the more senior roles. I mean, 20 years ago, you would never have seen a female branch bank manager. Wouldn't have happened. Starting to change now. So oh, yeah. Banks, again, gender payback because most management are males. Yeah. Let's go back to teaching again. Um, mm -hmm. What that story today indicated that there was a gender pay gap in that the men were being disadvantaged because the majority of women were being paid 70% more. Now, that's a little bit easier to compare apples with apples in that sector, isn't it? It well, certainly is, yes, because you're all teaching, teaching the same students. I'm assuming at different levels, if you're teaching year 12 or year 8, there might be different pay structures in there. But certainly it's much more 
female in that area. And so they are pushing higher up. So you do get the reverse, if you like, gender pay gap. And that's, again, how that happens. But clerical work, in the past, again, heavily female. If you look at purely clerical, there's probably a gender pay gap because more females in a just pure clerical area have advanced more than men have because women did that work. Yeah, that's very interesting. Where is this going to head? In 10 years' time, where are we going to be, Graham? What's your forecast? Scary thought, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I think I've left this model call by then, so I won't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, AI has probably got your job by then. <laughs> probably, yeah, that's scary, scary stuff. Look, we're heading down to this, I think, and again, a lot of recent legislation around the workplace, governments are interfering far too much at the moment in how companies try to run their business. And I think this will be a real problem further down the track if governments continue to say, we will tell you how you run your business. Business is already struggling. If the government continue interfering and telling a business, this is how you must run, we're in trouble. There's no doubt about that. We're heading down a very, very dangerous path here. What are your thoughts on affirmative action? In what way, sorry? Well, should we be pursuing more affirmative action and ensuring that women are falsely elevated? No. (laughs) No, it should be the right person for the right job, whatever sex, size, age you are, it should be. And an employer should have the right to choose the right person for the job. Yeah. regardless of age or sex. It should I just be the right more. person for the right job, but the governments don't want you to work that way. Yeah. Uh, Tim has sent me a message on the chat box on tntradio.live. Tim says, Smithy, there's a fairly big gender pay gap in my family. I'm a farmer and the wife's a nurse. I make nothing and she makes a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't get taken into account in the government data. That's interesting. <laughs> And just just a very quick, and if I can, if I can, Chris, really quickly, yeah. um, the Albanese government was today have actually said they're looking at allowing employees to transfer unused annual leave from one company to the next company. Mm. Every so, if I'm hiring somebody, it turns around and says, "Hang on, you've got six weeks unused annual leave you're going to bring to my business. I'm not going to employ you because no. that's six weeks. Why would I? Do? Again, this is governments interfering and impacting how businesses try to run. It's and make it and make it a disadvantage to employ people. Absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. What is wrong with these people? You know, yeah. obviously their mates in the unions are pressing this, so we can have more rights for the worker. Well, that's fine, but your worker is not going to be able to get the job. Correct. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Graham, great to have you on the program again. Thank you very much. A big day in terms of recruitment and the workplace. Thank you. You're welcome, Chris. Much appreciated. Graham Wynn, founder and director of Superior People Recruitment. So there are some of your answers, and he got it right right at the very start in that we're not comparing apples with apples or oranges with oranges. It's apples and oranges. You're basically saying in that sector where there are executives, there are middle managers, there are department heads, there are workers, and there are you know, ancillary staff, you're comparing all of those in the same basket and comparing what they earn and then coming up with a gender pay gap. That's not a comparable measurement. It's simply not. And what we should be doing is comparing the absolute jobs with the same jobs between men and women. And I think you would find, because companies and corporates in particular are doing all they can to elevate women and having more of a woman's role and a woman's hand in business, you probably might find that women get paid a little bit more than men if you compared apples with apples. An interesting topic.
And a lot of the talk today has been about, oh, look at the gender pay gap. It's outrageous. Well, you've got to take into account physiology. A lot of women want to go and have children. That is their, you know, natural right. But they do so, unfortunately, at their peril, because when you're out of the workforce for two years or out of a company for two years, when you do take your job back, well, you can't expect to have been elevated if you've been out for two years. Things change. Uh, other people are, are, are promoted and they are elevated. And this is just, you know, a bad luck situation. Men can't have babies. That's the physiological truth of the matter. But good to have Graham Wynn on the program to explain all of that. And as for the Albanese government turning around and saying, oh, we should be having a situation where people take their holidays with them. Well, some I remember working at uh, some media companies where people had 12 weeks holidays and they left. Now, what that company had to do is pay them the 12 weeks holidays that were owing when they left, unless they got sacked. Um, and then imagine them turning up to a workplace and saying, oh, can you give me a job? Oh, just by the way, I've got 12 weeks owing to me and you've got to accrue that. They're not going to get a job. And the unions know that it's going to dissuade employers from employing people. It's outrageous. It's stupid. It's dumb. It's so Labor Party typical. Back off. Create jobs. Don't put a barrier in the way of people getting a job. It's just wrong. Now, there's a huge Barney going on in Britain this week over Islamophobia. Now, it may come from what's come out of the Middle East of late, and uh, it has been fueled, no doubt, by a lot of comments, anti-Semitic comments, etc., and the pushback against that. But have a listen to this. A Tory former government minister has claimed that there are religions, religious no-go areas in Birmingham and East London sparking a fresh row over Islamophobia. Paul Scully, an MP who ran to the Conservatives' London mayoral candidate, made the remarks during a discussion about allegations of anti-Muslim sentiments within the party. It comes as Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, is under pressure over his handling of comments by Lee Anderson, who was stripped of the Tory whip after claiming that Islamists have got control of Sadiq Khan. In an interview with BBC London, Mr Scully, the London minister from 2021 to 2022, made reference to parts of the capital and Birmingham with high Muslim populations. He said, the point I'm trying to make is if you look at parts of Tower Hamlets, for example, where there are no-go areas, parts of Birmingham, Spark Hill, where there are no-go areas, mainly because of doctrine, mainly because of people using, abusing in many ways their religion, Two, because it is not the doctrine of Islam to espouse what some of these people are saying. That, I think, is the concern that needs to be addressed. Now, that's like a, you know, a Kamala Harris word salad that. I don't know whether that's even making any sense. But what he's saying, there are no-go zones. And if there are no-go zones in Western countries and Western cities like London, something is drastically wrong with immigration. Something is terribly wrong with multiculturalism that certain religions put themselves in an area and ensure that others who are not of the same religion are not allowed to go into them. That is an outrage. That goes back to people pushing for jihad on the streets of Western cities, which is what we discussed a little earlier with Glenn. Not on. Totally and utterly not on. Um, I've got a 
I've just heard the music, which is a cue for me to depart the scene. I can't believe it. I've had so much more to tell you about. But we've been waylaid. And the highlight, of course, that Queensland Supreme Court decision, you beauty, in that vaccine mandates are unlawful. Let's just pray that that decision stands after appeal and that those people who lost their careers, their livelihoods, had to get rid of their houses, are properly compensated. It's wrong and it will always be wrong for governments to control us the way they did to the nth degree. I'll leave you in the hands of Dean Mackin. I'll get out of here. Thank you so much for your company. We'll do it again at the same time tomorrow, hopefully. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Music.